Welcome to the Radiant Church Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Grab a Bible or open up your favorite Bible app as we get into God's Word together. Good morning, Radiant family. How you guys doing? I was just sitting there thinking, we have now identified our day after Christmas crowd. You guys are it. You guys look awesome. We've also had our first children's sermon. Wasn't that cool? That was good stuff. That was awesome. That was awesome. And I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb here. There's one time that my wife, when we were planting a church decades ago near New York City, below New York City, one time my wife convinced me to sing. It was the worst disaster you have ever seen in your life. I drove home that day. I said, we have killed this six-month-old church. No one will ever come back. So I'm not going to sing by myself again, but I was sitting there thinking, sometimes the simplest truths are the hardest ones for us to receive freely, for us to embrace totally. There's a song that probably most of us know, and I'm going to trust you to help me kick it off. And that is Jesus loves me. So at the, at the risk of being too simple, I want you to hear a truth. Let's sing that together. loves me. It's such a simple phrase, right? But here's the question. What does it really mean that Jesus loves me? What does love even mean? Listen, if we were to ask 30 different people today what love means, you get 30 different answers because it's a moving target. If you ask someone right now to define love, they would probably ask you six questions in return just to get context. Like, what do you mean? Loving what? Loving who? Loving how? I mean, before I answer that question, I mean, I love the prime rib I had last night that my son-in-law smoked on the big green egg. I'm just saying, you with me? I'm with you. We love our job. We love this. We love that. In fact, recently, my wife was, I think it was in our grandson's room. He had just redone his room and rearranged everything and had some new stuff. And my wife is in our grandson's room and she looks at him and she says, man, I love your room. I get, he looks at her just as seriously like one of these faces you just got a while ago, right? Those were really good. Looks at her just with a serious tone, and he says, Lolly, 
We don't love things. We only love people. That's good parenting right there. And as a grandparent, I'll take credit for just a little bit of it. That's good parenting. But look, even if we believe that, it's like, well, I was in love with her, or I was in love with him, and now I'm not in love with her or him anymore. Even at that, we struggle. So what I want to share this morning in the, in the time that we have together is just a very simple verse, very familiar with us, just like the song we just sang, John 3.16. You can turn there on your devices, or I'm just going to read it to you here, John 3.16. It says, for God loved the world in this way. Listen, most of us learn that verse how? For God, right? I learned the verse the same way. For God so loved the world. I think this is a better translation here. For God loved the world in this way. Why? Because there's no degrees of love with God. Well, I learned, that, I learned this verse, for God so loved the world, which in my mind, what it, what it, what it came out to was this. At some point, God got to the degree of love that he needed. God built up his love to the degree that he needed, that he loved the world enough that he came and gave his own son. There's no degrees of love with God. There is no degrees of love with God. That's why I love the, the, the translation to say, for God loved the world in this manner. He loved the world in this way that he gave his only son. Because it also points back to the two verses before it, that Christ would have to be lifted up on a cross in order for us to be rescued and made right with God. So he loved us in this manner that he gave his only son and his son was lifted up. Listen, there's no degrees of love with God. God is love. That is who he is. God is love. There's no degrees, there's no, there's no qualifications. He is love, and because He is love, He loves us in ways that we simply cannot fathom or understand. It's difficult for us, right? It's difficult for us. Impossible for us sometimes to comprehend the love of God. You look at 1 John 4, 8. I'm just going to read this verse to you. It says, "...the one who does not love does not know God because God is love." It says, listen, if you say you, you know me, but you're not full of love, you're not, you don't know me because I am love. If my life is in you, I am love. God is love. Look, God doesn't take actions of love. God doesn't create acts of love. God doesn't necessarily determine he's going to choose the love at this moment. God is love. It is his essence. It is his being. It is who he is. He's not just loving. That is who he is. God is love. To, to, you know, I was thinking, about, to cease to love would mean that God need, would cease to exist. Think about that for a second. You say, well, God is holy too. Well, yes, you're right. God is holy. God is 100% holy and God is 100% love. That is who he is. To cease to love for God would mean that he would have to cease to exist. It also means that it is impossible to measure God's capacity to love us. It is impossible to measure the width and breadth and depth and height of that love. And as we read that verse, it continues, 
For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. It says God loved the world in this way that He gave His most precious possession, right? He gave His most precious possession where? He loved the world. He loved the world in this way, in this manner, that He gave Himself His only Son. He loved the broken, rebellious, castle-kicking, angry world, right? I'm glad somebody said castles. Here it is. He loved the mocking, angry, I'm running away from you world, even while he humbled himself. You could even probably use the word humiliation, even, even while he experienced the humiliation of being trapped in a baby like us. God is love. Jesus loves me, this I know. To be trapped in a baby in, the, in, in that humble state, just to be despised, to suffer, to die a horrific death, to take on all the wrath of God's holiness for our sin, even though he was sinless, to be risen again so that he could put his life in us. There's a lot in this verse, guys. He loved the world in this way that he gave his only son so that Everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God is love, and so he loves in ways that we cannot understand or fathom. One other verse I want to share with you, and then I just want to ask you one question to take away with you. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 says this, For if while we were enemies, if while you and I were enemies of God, if while you and I were angry mocking, rebellious, castle-kicking people. If while we were enemies, it says this, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, then how much more? If while we were enemies, He came and gave all that He had to reconcile us through the life and death of His Son, then how much more? Having been reconciled, will he save us by his life today? See, it's hard for us to comprehend. It's hard for us to comprehend what love is. What the, well, particularly what the love of God is. When, when we think about an enemy, and it's just too easy of a target, so I'll use it real quickly. When we think of an enemy, I mean, think about the political divisions of the last couple of years, particularly... It doesn't matter which side you're on, just pick the enemy on the other side. And it's almost like it's okay, like God is okay. God is okay with me mocking, trolling, and hating on this person because they're my enemy. And God's okay with it because I'm right and they're wrong and I'm siding with him. He's fine with it. And yet God is saying, would you take the life of one of your children and trade it for that enemy to know me? None of us would ever, listen, none of us would ever think about trading the life of one of our children or our own life for our enemy, but that is exactly what God did. 
And so we struggle with the love of God in this way. We struggle with love. I know I do. We struggle with the love of God in this way. Listen, I believe for God loved the world in this manner that he sent his only son so that I might have eternal life. Yeah, I'm going to confess my sin. I'm going to be forgiven by God. I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. I'm going to have new life. I'm going to be with him someday. But I struggle with this. He loved me enough while I was an enemy to make me righteous, to justify me, to forgive me of my sin, to adopt me as his son, sons and daughters. He loved me that much when I was his enemy, but I'm struggling right now believing that God loves me as his child. Anybody ever been there? It doesn't make any sense, does it? Romans 5 says, listen, if he loved us when we were the castle-kicking, mocking, angry mob running away from him while he was being lifted on a cross, then he loves us now even more. How much more can we have the certainty that his love is for us now? He didn't come to condemn. You look at verse 17 and 18. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. See, Jesus didn't come to condemn. We're doing that all our own. We've condemned ourselves with our own sin, with our own actions. We're taking care of that job. So Jesus didn't come to condemn. Jesus came to rescue. Jesus came to make us righteous. Jesus came to restore our relationship with God, to rebuild what God created us for, and that is intimate relationship with him. Jesus came to adopt us as sons and daughters. Jesus came to put his life in us so that we are bright stars in a dark place. Jesus didn't come to condemn. He came to change everything. And if he loved us in our mess when we hated him as his enemy, he definitely loves us in our mess when we want to love him now. So I want to leave you with this question. We, we know almost, I mean, it's automatic. It's, 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 it's logic. It's innate. We know that we sin against God's holiness, right? Even if we don't believe in God, moral code stamped in humanity, we can have all those debates and all that stuff, but we know that we sin against God's holiness, particularly as his children. I want to propose something to you this morning. I want to leave you this question. What might it mean for us to sin against his love? God is completely holy. He's completely love. We know we sin against his holiness. What might it mean that we sin against his love? What do I mean by that? He wants us to see his love correctly. And so many times we just project our weak definition of love on, uh, onto God. He wants us to see his love correctly so that we can receive his love freely so that we can experience his love fully that's his desire 
And so many times we sin against his love because we're like, you know, I, I, do, I do believe God loves me because he forgave me. I'm going to be with him someday. But, but right now I just feel like I need to get a little distance from that last terrible failure that I had in order for him to love me again. That's sinning against his love. There's nothing you can do to get him to love you anymore. I mean, I know God loves me. I know he forgave me, but, but, but I, I've got to make up just a little bit for this shame and fear that I'm experiencing before I go back to him. What does it mean to sin against life, to see it correctly, to receive it fully, to experience it completely and freely? We have this such a skewed view many times of God's love. It's like, God loves me, but it's begrudgingly. God loves me, but it's in spite of the shame and fear. Now listen, look, God loves you without shame and fear. That's why he loved the world in this manner, to give his only son, so that he might be lifted up and die, that we're not condemned, but we can walk in the freedom of his love. That we experience his love not without shame and fear, uh, not in spite of shame and fear, but without shame and fear, we come to him freely. We think, yeah, God loves me, but it must be begrudgingly. Listen to this last, these last few sentences. I want you to hear this. God does not love you with a disappointed love. You hear me? God does not love you with a disappointed love. He loves you completely and freely. He does not love you with a frustrating love. Oh, man, look what they did again. God's love just wants to compel you to come to him no matter what. It's focused on your coming, not on what you did, right? As you lay those things down to him. God does not love us with a, with a sighing love. How many of you, how many of you your, your kids got a present yesterday and they wanted to play with it over and over and over and over until you finally found a peaceful, quiet spot and then here they come again and there's this heavy sigh that emanates from your body. Walkie-talkie. That was, that was mine yesterday. Walkie-talkie, no, they're resting. Walkie-talkie, no, they're off. Batteries are about to disappear forever. Walkie-talkie, right, no. And you just hear this heavy sigh. Here they come again with the same thing. God doesn't love you with a disappointed, frustrated, sighing love. When we think about the love that's represented at Christmas, it's a love that doesn't have a limit. It's a love that doesn't have an expiration date. It's a love that will emanate through every part of our life, as 1 John says. 
Jesus loves me not by the weak definition that somehow maybe we come up with after asking a half dozen questions. He loves us as sons and daughters. Paul even said, if I could pray one single prayer for the church, if I could pray one prayer for those who claim the name of Jesus, it would be this. I would pray that you would more fully comprehend and understand, that you would see correctly, receive freely, and experience fully, that you would comprehend the, the breadth and depth and height and width of God's love in your life. Because that will change everything. Because, and I'll end with this, because here's the thing. I ended with this last week, I think in the benediction, but let me just repeat it here for just a second. Even if and as, I'm no prophet, I don't know, but I'm guessing. <laughs> Even as the world grows darker, here's what I want you to hear this Christmas. We are built for this because his love is in us. God is not mocking and, tro and trolling and despising and hating on. God is saying, just come, 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 come. Let me, let me show you my love the way it really is. Let, let me help you experience it fully and, and, and receive it freely without trying to, trying to make yourself worthy of it, without you trying to get further away from your last failure. Just come to me. Why? Because as we've talked about during Advent this month, hope, peace, joy, love, those are not just promises that God gives us because it's his life in us and the fruit of the Spirit. Those are how we represent him in a dark world. As bright stars in a dark place. So as we head into 2022, think about this. Think about being a people of hope, a people of peace, a people of joy, a people of love. Not just the promises God has given, but how he's asked us to represent him. Because we are built for this. What God wants to do in the new year, what God wants to do in your life, what God wants to do in this place, what God wants to do in this neighborhood, what he wants to do in our city, what he wants to do in the world, it is through his people who are built for that. To be his light. People of hope. Peace, joy, and love. So let me challenge you this as we worship in song with the last song. Even as we worship in this last song, would you ask God, God, if there's ways I'm not seeing your love correctly, would you just impress upon my spirit right now the reality of your love who you, who you really are and what it's really about. If I'm not receiving it freely, listen, there was nothing in you that made you worthy for Jesus to come. And there's nothing in you now that will, will keep him from wanting you to come to him. There's nothing so unworthy in us that would keep us from his receiving his love freely. There was nothing, wor nothing worthy about us when he came in the first place. So even as we worship in this last song, ask him to show you his love. Receive it freely. And let's worship our way out. This will be the last time we're together in 2021. I do believe. 
Let's worship our way out, not just thanking him for what he has done through this Advent season and through this Christmas season and how he's encouraged us, but let's worship our way out, taking on that commitment to be his people and to represent him in these ways in the coming year. Thank you for joining our family in North Charleston as we heard God's word preached today. We would love to connect with you. You can find us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us a message to learn more about what Radiant Church is doing or support the vision of Radiant Church at radiantcharleston.com giving.